Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. We will now present an Oscar to one of the talented ladies nominated for Best Performance by an Actress. The nominees are Jean Simmons in The Happy Ending, Maggie Smith in The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, Liza Minnelli in The Sterile Cuckoo, Jean-Vierre Bougeot in Anne of the Thousand Days, and Jane Fonda in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And inside is one of five beautiful performances. And the name is Maggie Smith in the prime of the Sturdy Brody. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1970 ceremony year win Best Actress winner for Maggie Smith. Uh, I'm very excited because today's episode, I am joined by Luke McFarlane. He is a showrunner and executive producer, um, but also on his social media, I saw that he was friends with Gemma Collins and Vanessa Feltz. So, hey, Luke, how are you? Hi, Carl. How are you? I am good, and I am so excited to have you on this show, not just because of Vanessa Feltz and Gemma Collins, but also because before we jumped onto this, you told me that the most British thing happened because on your way home, you went past Buckingham Palace. Yeah, I couldn't. um, Well, first of all, thanks for having me, by the way. I absolutely love this show, and I love listening to it, and I get very frustrated when I'm waiting for the next one to arrive. I think there was a (laughs) period where, did you say you went on tour I was a bit like, he's sort of taken the piss. It's been quite a few weeks now since the last one. So thanks so much for having me on. But yeah, yeah. when I left work tonight, I rushed out to get um, the world's most depressing commuter train back to where I live. And as I was running, I was like, oh, there's... But I didn't even think about it. And then I was running past thinking, oh, I'm going to speak to a Canadian tonight. And here's Buckingham Palace right next to me. And lots of police mm. motorcycles went past and the gates opened so and let some cars in so i may have run past the king this evening i have one camilla but who knows maybe princess oh. anne was popping in well i mean okay so like i am really into the crown right now um i haven't finished it so don't tell me what happens to diana okay I won't spoil um no spoilers um, but I am very much into the crown right now. The new season came out. I don't know how I felt about Amelda Staunton at first, but then she really sold it for me because she brought like a sense of humor to uh, Queen Elizabeth II that didn't really exist with any of the other characters. Like she would randomly like laugh at things. And I was like, oh, that's different. Sort of injecting a little variety into her little take on Elizabeth. I enjoyed that. But are you, what I'm wondering is like as a British person, how do you feel about the royals? Well, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a royalist, but I would also say I'm not anti-monarchy in that, I guess when the Queen passed away, I felt quite sad, although I then became, I don't know if you had, I mean, I'm I'm assuming this was could have been worldwide access, but there was a thing over here when the Queen passed away, they had 24-hour live viewing of the queue, where people okay. queued to pass the Queen's coffin. And yeah, I saw some of that. Yeah, we were obsessed with it. And it got to the point, I think, <laughs> when my husband and I and our kids who were sort of walking in out of the room like we were crazy. I think we might have watched about 10 hours of it one Sunday. Oh and we just sat and stared 
and it's it was just intriguing the whole thing so as much as i felt sad that the queen died i sort of thought well she was 96 and yeah. also um it, it sort of just said a lot about this country i found it kind of quite fascinating the whole um pomp and ceremony which i think we do do better than anyone else in the world but there was this sort of um you know people like tweeting eight hours and still standing it was like a real badge of honor that people were in this queue um for for days to then walk past but it is just so crazy to me how passionate people i mean people were weeping and i'm just sort of like that's so interesting cuz i'm from canada we don't have like the queen's face is like on all of our money but nobody in this fucking country has any alliance or allegiance to the queen but if you become a canadian citizen you have to take an oath to the queen but like bitch i never did that i was born here right you know yeah and also, I think in 1982 with Pierre Elliott Trudeau, I think we like had more independence from the UK. Um, and I don't even think that we're still part of the Commonwealth, but I'm also really bad at history. So don't quote me on that. Anyway, all this to say, though, I love that you brought up the fact that I was on tour and I had an inconsistent schedule. Hey, Best Actress listeners, just FYI, uh, this I've been doing this show now um, for almost three years. It has been an absolute passion project uh, and I, I love it. But I... You know, it's a lot of work and uh, I want to make a more consistent schedule with this show because you're right. There's going to be a chunk where if I get busy because I'm on the road, um, you know, my priority obviously is going to be to paid work. Right. Uh, But I want to really make this show such a priority for me and I want to keep going. I want to get as many episodes done. So. It took me so long to do this, but I have finally started a Patreon for this show. And the way that it is going to work is that episodes now, I will always have 10 free episodes available on wherever it is that you get your iTunes. Your new episodes will always be free. However, now there will be ads in them. And if you would like access to the previous episodes, because they're all going into the Patreon, all you have to do is subscribe um, it's five Canadian dollars. Uh, I think us that's like three fifty pounds. I think that's like two pounds. So it's, I'm not really asking for much, but also again, we do have the 10 free episodes available, but, uh, I just, uh, you know, a lot of work has gone into this podcast. I don't have any advertisers. I don't have any, um, a, a network that's distributing this. It's all me. And, uh, again, we're coming up on three years. So I thought it was time to start a Patreon. And uh, anyway, you guys can subscribe to it. You guys don't have to if you don't want to. But I am just putting it out there. Uh, people that do subscribe to the Patreon will be getting episodes one day earlier. Also, there will be a consistent um, episode release. And uh, I think we also in future might be doing a few bonus episodes with best actor episodes, which will be available only on the Patreon. So stay tuned for details. But just putting that one out there. So... Um, that being said, uh, okay, so 1970 Oscars. So the year, uh, Best Actor went to John Wayne for True Grit. Best Supporting Actor went to Gig Young for uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Love that movie. Best Supporting Actress went to Goldie, Goldie Hawn for Cactus Flower. Best Director went to John Schlesinger. I'm thinking I'm saying that right. For Midnight Cowboy, fantastic film. And Best Picture went to Midnight Cowboy, which makes absolute sense to me. So... I always say that I uh, I like to know why maybe my guest picked a particular topic. So why are we doing Maggie Smith today for the Prime of Miss Jean Brody, Luke? Like, why did you select this year? What do you know, do you know what it is? I was being, I guess, really patriotic, and I wanted to choose a year that um, 
that a Brit won and you'd already done Emma Thompson for Hard's End. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, I really was keen to do Elizabeth Taylor because I love Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but half the mm. films in that year I just couldn't fucking access in the UK. And anyway, Maggie oh. Smith would have been um my next my next she wasn't she wasn't like my last choice, but I was torn anyway. So it's like I just wanted to do a British winner and then I realised they're sort of all um bit yeah. gay iconish, all the Brit winners. <laughs> right. like, they're all dames and they all feel a bit gay. Um but yeah, so, <laughs> no, I'm really, really glad that um in the end that we uh, it's Maggie Smith that we've gone for. I've never, okay, well, we're going to get into it, but like, I only know Maggie Smith as like this uh, grand matriarch of a family who is just giving a tongue lashing to somebody in the most fancy British way. So to see her in the prime of Miss Jean Brody as sort of this like young, uh, sex positive, uh, like vivacious woman, I'm like, who is this? You're McGonagall. Like, what is happening? You know? But anyway, we will jump into it. So um, let's just talk about our first nominees. So these are never in any particular order. It's usually just the order that I watch them in. And I kind of want to get this one out of the way because holy shit, this one was painful. Let's talk about Gene Simmons, not the lead singer of Kiss, in The Happy Ending. So very, very quickly, The Happy Ending is about a middle-aged woman uh, who basically walks out on her husband and family in a desperate attempt to find herself. And um, this film, if you've never seen it before, uh, was actually written by her husband, Richard Brooks, uh, because at the time, Gene Simmons, I suppose, was having problems with alcohol herself. So I guess this was like a vehicle for her to really shine as this character, which led to an Academy Award nomination. So clearly it worked out. Um, this movie is categorized as a drama. It is a comedy if you are watching it through the lens of 2022. And it's like, it's just camp. There are so many lines in this movie that are so funny and so silly. And like, anyway, um, I've never seen this movie before. This is the first time I've ever seen uh, Gene Simmons in anything. I know that she had previously been nominated for, I believe, Hamlet or some sort of a Shakespearean thing from like the 1940s. And this was her second nomination. Uh, but leading up to this film, she had been nominated for and won like a bunch of Golden Globes. But this was her second um, Academy Award nomination in like her long career. And in this film, though, um, <laughs> the movie opens on, like, a commercial for, like, People's The Diamond Jeweler. And it's, like, this really intense, cheesy love scene that goes on and on and on and on. And then um, everything, like, goes to shit. And I liked when everything goes to shit because then she has, like, a pill problem and an alcohol problem but her husband's kind of like an angel and there are so many unanswered questions and I do not understand any of her motivation for her character. This movie was enjoyable because I thought it was funny. I think I liked it for all the wrong reasons, almost like when Elizabeth Taylor won for Butterfield 8. I loved it for all the wrong reasons, but again, different podcast. But anyway, uh, I'm very curious to see and hear what your thoughts are. Um, on this film, Luke. So, what have you seen this before, and what did you think? No, I, you know, I've never seen it before. Never heard of it. I know Jean Simmons is just because when she was very young, she was in. It could have been David Lean's adaptation, adaptation or film version, sorry, of Great Expectations, and mm -hmm. then she played um, a character in The Thornbirds. Did you ever watch The Thornbirds? I didn't know. Oh, I haven't had the pleasure. It's, it's like a real epic american 
miniseries based on this 70s novel. And Richard Chamberlain plays a priest that essentially everyone wants to fuck. And um, <laughs> she is in it and she's great in it. And I think she might have been nominated for an Emmy or something. Her and Barbara Stanwyck are in it and she's great in it. But I, do you know what? Just picking up what you said before that her husband wrote this because I genuinely thought when I was watching it, oh, a gay wrote this. Right. Because mm-hmm. it just felt like the gayest thing <laughs> I've seen in a long time, but sort of wasn't out and out meant to be a, a gay thing. It was just the. I just kept thinking, did they really just say that line? It, everything in it and just the perfume bottles filled with vodka that she would spray yeah. into her mouth. and Like what was happening? I don't understand. <laughs> and I loved, um, you know, quite early on in the film when the husband, Blake Carrington, finds um, the bottle of vodka hidden in the closet or whatever, wherever it was. In and her then boot, yeah. He tells their housekeeper and then literally she walks in. She's like, pills? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like drugs you want more you want more booze she had a serving platter of pills <laughs> at the in the kitchen yes. she had a serving platter and it was completely full she was like i don't know what i'm in the mood for today maybe a little zanny maybe a little ecstasy mm, i don't know and i was like this is insane it were the 60s were pills just free <laughs> like yeah. this is insane and it goes um there was a bit i can't remember um, if it was which character said it, but one of the ladies go it says something like, "Honey, all us girls over thirty five have got the same problem." And it was like, "Oh, they're all on pills. They're all alcoholics." <laughs> it's literally like once they hit their mid thirties, that they're fucked. Um, oh my god! But the biggest problem with the movie was she never seemed drunk. Ever. She was like gorgeous and like serving face at certain angles. She kind of looked like Elizabeth Taylor, you know, and you're just kind of like, okay, very pretty. But like, hi, over here as a drug abuser and raging alcoholic, I actually am like, ah, no, that is not what an alcohol. I realize it's the 60s. I understand that. But don't forget, freaking Elizabeth Taylor had just won for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And in that she like looks drunk and she's like angry and passionate. It's like, where the fuck? The only time that Gene Simmons, it was believable that she was having having an issue was when she swallowed all those pills and then it was like a suicide attempt. That was really the only like real moment of acting. Everything else was so campy. And this was so clearly written by a man. Do you remember the scene where it was like a bunch of housewives in a locker room at this weird salon beauty parlor situation, smoking cigars and shooting whiskey. And you're just like, yes, this writer clearly knows women. (laughs) Because that's that's what that's women they're they sm- to do. Yeah, they're just like talking business in the locker room, smoking cigars and playing poker. I'm like, what fucking group of women is doing this during the day when their husband is at work? If anything, it would be like Canasta or Bridge or they were drinking wine or pills like this movie established. But instead, they're like hanging out after a, a round of golf in the locker room. I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? Yeah. Who are these people? I don't know any of these people. This is I anyway, I, I couldn't understand the movie. I don't understand why she left. I don't understand why she decided that she wanted to go for a possible affair while she was on vacation. That didn't end up happening. And then her friend finds her and then she eventually comes home. She leaves her family and her daughter, but everything seems perfect at home. And then it's like, then she talks to her mom and she's like, oh, because you and dad had such a perfect relationship, which is what I model my relationship after. And then she was like, no, we didn't have a perfect relationship. And then she was like, 
oh my God, like the, I didn't realize. And then I thought, oh, now she's going to learn her mistake and go back to her family. No, she ends up just leaving inexplicably. And then at the end, hi, like 50 year spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, she ends up like running into her husband while she's like on her way to night school. And then, okay, I think I wrote this down here. He says, come home. I love you as much as ever. And then she says, would you marry me again? Knowing me, knowing me now, if we didn't know each other, like, would you marry me now knowing me now if we didn't know each other? Honestly, I don't know what the fuck that line (laughs) means. And then just complete silence. And then it just says, the end. What? (laughs) What? I had to rewind the end. Because I, I, me, me too. Hap- I blinked. I, maybe that's what happened. I, and it suddenly the, the film stopped. I was like, what? The only character whose acting and motivation made any sense was the daughter. She was fantastic scenes with her mother. Mm-hmm. Her mother is an alcoholic, a drug abuser. She has a suicide attempt. And she has this like very complicated relationship with her. She wants to be with her mother, but she also kind of hates her mother a little bit. That was the only character that was interesting. In my opinion, no, oh, no, I, I agree. I just found all, yeah, all of the women. I mean, even you know, she sort of wants to uh, piss off to. Do you say is it Nassau? Is that how you say it? Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because the husband's been having an affair and he doesn't love her. She thinks, and then she bumps into her friend who she hasn't seen since she was in school, but she acts like she just saw her yesterday in the grocers. And um, yeah, and right. it's like you know, and then the, the mum from the Partridge family is like, oh, I'm a you know, I'm a serial mistress. And she's like, oh, that's kind of wonderful. It's like, you just fucking left your husband because he's having an affair with women, but you think this is amazing now. I was like, I <laughs> none of this makes any sense. And then suddenly I was like, oh yeah, I want to be a mistress. Like she's having the best yeah. time with Lloyd Bridges. And I was like- It seems fun, sure. Yeah, I just, it just confused me. But however, the one thing that kept me going were just these ridiculous- lines that kept coming and even towards the end when it sort of felt like the writer was was a bit like oh I can't really be asked to write these last few scenes so let's just put music over it <laughs> and let the mum and daughter just walk and let's just tell it through silence um but I sort of found that all really intriguing because it was just so bad I almost think it was good it's not yeah, quite right. on the level of some really bad films but it was um just yeah it, it kept my attention because I I sort of just couldn't believe that this pile of crap made it to the Academy Awards, I guess. Oh my God, I know. And there was this thing that I read online um, that I thought was kind of interesting and it was like a review. And I guess like at this time in history, these were a lot of um, old school directors, writers and stuff like that, that there was like a new generation of, of, of filmmaking that was coming in like the 1970s, a lot grittier, a lot darker, a less like family oriented and, um, you know, and so at this time, it was like this was a transition period for some of those old school writers where it's like they're clearly out of touch with a younger generation. And it seems like an older generation trying to write for a younger generation. And it just doesn't come off right because it's like, hmm, what do young, sexy people do? Like, it just didn't seem very authentic. It seemed very weird. You're right. The lines also made no sense. Like um, one of them, the two that I loved was... um because it's like very well-intended actors. Like these actors clearly have talent, but it's like they're giving it their all in this ridiculous script. 
the line that I love was, where is it? Why can't I just love the man that I love? What does that mean? And then what was the other one where it's like, oh, honey, if sex was the most important thing in the world, the world would be run by rabbits. I mean, make what you will. Like, it just, but why? Like, that's just like the laziest type of example you could get. Like, it's just... Oh, I just thought that it's camp. It's just camp, yeah. I guess. And is, it was all, is, everything was like, you know, she's in the hairdressers. I just liked it when the guy was doing a hair because it, over in England, you know, anything in the seventies where a male is in a hairdressers, he's always camp. Like he has to be yeah. gay <laughs> because only yes. gay men cut hair. And, um, and when she's like, Oh, it's my husband on the phone or something. The one line he has is, you know, we all have our cross to bear, sweetie. And it's just yeah. like, <laughs> God, I mean, it's just, I mean, it just screams bloke writing. Um, and actually, oh, I know. it all makes sense now that you said it was her husband. It's, sort of, it's all starting to to make sense to me. But it was um, not a bad thing. And, and with her in particular, at the beginning, I was like, oh, come on. I actually was sort of like, once you get past that bizarre beginning where you have the flashbacks to all the old romantic Hollywood films, I was sort of think when you went to the day, you know, modern day, 16 years later, and she's in her 30s, I'm like, okay, this is going to be all right. Gene Simmons can hold her own. And I sort of thought, and I, I can't remember if you weren't keen on this film, but I was like, oh, is this a 1970 version of what Shirley Valentine was in the late <laughs> yeah. 80s? And I really love Shirley Valentine, by the way. I but, love but Shirley Valentine. This like, <laughs> is, is, is this, you know, the precursor to Shirley Valentine. And it wasn't because Shirley Valentine had a bit of balls. So when she went off, she went off. And she was like, and I might have an affair. I will, I will have an affair. And I'm also going to stay here because you've got my tits for the last 20 years. Where she yeah. just sort of went there to find the Mrs. Partridge family being a mistress. And then she just buggered off home again. I was like, really I disappointed in her. And um, But you're right. I think she gave it her all to a script that probably wasn't as good as she was. Oh, exactly. And the thing is, is once you had the flashbacks of the suicide, I think I'm like, oh, okay, well, here we see some acting. But leading up to that, it all just seemed very like, but also like talking about like Shirley Valentine, you also have in that moment, like she's a victim, first of all, because like she has like a really shitty life. So you feel bad for her. You do not feel bad for Gene Simmons at all. She has a perfect rich mm. white woman waspy life and all she has to do all day is just like take pills and hang out at home and go to the salon it's like i don't feel bad for you like no, there's no reason right exactly but like maybe in the 1960s that was a sympathetic character and obviously it was a different time so i think gene simmons did what she was supposed to do with the role it's just that it doesn't age well and watching it back it's just very funny it's very campy and it's very funny yeah it's definitely i mean i will recommend it to people i don't know if they'll watch it but like, <laughs> no, not, not me i will not <laughs> it's not a must watch but it's a if you've got two hours spare in your life um maybe watch happy ending it's just um and i guess she was happy at the end but yeah i mean i won't be watching it again <laughs> um okay do you have anything else that you'd like to add before we move on no no bravo gene simmons for doing what you could <laughs> Um, 
Okay, let's talk about Genevieve Bujold in Anne of a Thousand Days. She's French Canadian, so it's like Genevieve Bujold. And Anne of a Thousand Anne of the Thousand Days. So this is about Anne Boleyn. Um and it's okay, so King Henry VIII of England discards one wife, Catherine of Aragon, uh, divorces her. Uh, who has failed to produce a male heir in favor of the young and beautiful Anne Boleyn. And uh, this movie is, Elizabeth Taylor keeps popping up here. So Richard Burton plays King Henry VIII, which by the way, if you've ever actually seen a portrait of King Henry VIII, Richard Burton is very generous casting. (laughs) Okay. And then uh, at the time, Liz Taylor was the one that actually wanted to play Anne Boleyn instead of Genevieve. And um, apparently she was really shady. Elizabeth Taylor was very shady to Genevieve on set because Richard... Uh, Elizabeth Taylor at the time was married to Richard Burton. And I just think that she thought that Genevieve was doing a really bad job. And especially the like final scene when she gets her head cut off, she was like being really disrespectful and like vocal about it, like on set. Um, And I guess you can't really tell Taylor, uh, Elizabeth Taylor to shut the fuck up or something. I don't know, but apparently it was like an issue. Um, years later, Richard Burton actually revealed that he hated Genevieve, uh, Bejold. Uh, he revealed it in his like diaries, like after his death, they like read this or something. Um, but that being said though, this was the longest movie of the bunch, mm. but on the last, the episode where we talked about, um, Jane Fonda for Clute, we talked about Vanessa Redgrave in Mary Queen of Scots. And I loved that movie. And this movie I also very much loved. I love anything to do with like some sort of a royal history or dynasty or something like that. Also for anybody listening that doesn't really know as uh, that much about British history or English history, I didn't know this, but yeah. So Anne Boleyn's daughter is Queen Elizabeth, but originally it was um, because who was it? It was, what was his third wife's name? Was it Jean Smart? Jane Seymour. Was it Jane Seymour? So that okay, so we had a son, Edward the Sixth, with Jane Seymour, who was the successor after King Henry the Eighth died, but he died like really young because of tuberculosis, and then that's when Elizabeth became Queen of England. Little history lesson for you there. Thank you. <laughs> I'm saying this to a British person, but I'm saying this just to anybody listening. There's a lot of Americans that listen to this podcast, and they probably don't know that. Although, frankly, I don't know anything about American history either. So, like, whatever. Like, George Washington was, like, a lifeguard. I'm not sure. Um, Okay. So, uh, what did you think about this movie? And had you seen it before? And what did you think about Genevieve's performance? Yeah. I had never seen this before. And I am i don't know how this has passed me by because I'm quite into all these sort of films. And there's um, – I don't know if you know – over here we have, like, the Carry On series, which was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And they were sort of bawdy, almost um, postcard humour, it's called over here. You know, lots of sort of tits almost falling out of dresses and lots of bum smacking <laughs> and things. And at the beginning, it, they did one called Carry On Henry. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be like Carry On Henry. This is going to be really comical. Um, <laughs> and actually, I really, really liked it. And I sort of thought, how could I not like it? Because Richard Burton is great. Um, and I'd, I sort of, I'd heard of, how do you say her name again? Genevieve. Genevieve, Genevieve. Bejold. I, I knew of her from the film Dead Ringers um, with Jeremy Irons, but that's the only thing I'd ever seen her in. And she was, this is, that mm-hmm. was a long time later. And mm-hmm. 
I thought it was great. I just, do you know what I thought was really well done was that they sort of plotted it. They just plotted it out really well. And I know it was like the longest film, but compared to films these days, it felt quite short. And it was actually really well sort of drawn out. I sort of felt like, oh, I wanted to get to the juice a bit quicker. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the film got better um, once they get married and things start to go down the shitter. Um, (laughs) But I thought it was, you know, a really good film. And there was just, and it's sort of just, really brought home how horrific it was for a woman in the 1500s. Well, I mean, in the 1960s with Gene Simmons. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was just, I thought it was really good. And I thought there were some really great moments in it uh, across across the whole board. I mean, with her performance, because it, it, what's interesting about her, because I have seen the other Bolin girl with Scarlett oh, Johansson yeah. and Natalie Portman. Um and it's you know that sounds very so sexy. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very sexy and um, actually worth the watch. But like uh, none of those uh, people during that time looked like it was just again very generous, very Hollywoodified. Um, but I did have to say that like uh, in this version, watching Anne Boleyn, she's very sharp. She's uh, kind of stubborn. Um, her accent kind of comes and goes, which kind of was like a little frustrating to listen to. Um, but she kind of really got it near the end. Mostly in the beginning, it was just sort of like, how dare you? Like, it was not great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was really just fun watching her constantly standing up to Richard Burton and like making him uh, do Every, like it was just it was also kind of hot the way that like Richard Burton was like falling over himself for her and like the way that he was just coming for her you're like oh yeah. I wish I had somebody come after me like and she that. kept saying no and it's like you're taking the piss like he looks, yeah. <laughs> he looks fit for a king yeah for a ki- for a king yeah. absolutely um and yeah she was just extremely defiant but she also like knew her place so there was like a nice kind of balance there um and She's also very goal-oriented, which I appreciate, Uh, very calculated. Um, I think, though, another performance that really stood out was Irene Pappas, who played Queen Catherine, the first wife. I actually thought she gave, like, a better performance, even though, like, because you kind of, she's the most sympathetic character in the story. Yeah, I did wonder, was she, I don't think she was, but I saw, at first I was like, oh, I wonder if she was up for Best Supporting Actress, because I hadn't heard of her. I thought so. Um, yeah, but when she she sort of disappears, doesn't she? And then she comes back into it as we know that the marriage is impending or whatever. And I was like, oh, she's she's given it. It's one of those scenes, you know, where it's almost not Patrice straight for minutes, but you know that kind of like you've really she holds your attention when she's in it. Yeah, and she nails every scene. Yeah. Like she gets she. It's a very modern type of acting where like the tears are real it's not very like oh i love you i do i really do like there's none of that it's like she's being very real and i'm like oh shit like this irene pappas is like really she's like serving right now i love it um but okay so going back to to genevieve bujol though so you know a lot of her performance is very kind of the same where she's very much like, well, if you want me, you're going to have to get a divorce. Mm-mm-mm. And she's very defiant and very like, I know what I want. So you got to figure it out. And then it gets a little repetitive. It isn't until he basically is like, 
uh, he walks away from her that one point and she throws herself at him oh, and yeah. she performs her love. That's really when you start to see a change in her acting and in her character, uh, which at that point was really needed because, oh, God, how long would it have been at that? I think it was like an hour and a half into the movie at that point. Yeah, definitely. And it was literally, because I remember looking at the clock and I was like, oh, right, he's finally really talking to her like shit. And now that makes her laugh. <laughs> uh, and it, then it did get, I sort of felt like she earned the nomination from that moment onwards, basically. Yes, especially after she had Elizabeth and he was really furious that it was a girl. And then um, you see they flip the script uh, whenever she sees Jane Seymour in the court and then she um, storms off like how Queen Catherine did at the beginning. Mm. And it's like, oh, full circle. Yeah. Like once Elizabeth was born, I, I felt like she becomes a lot more interesting, and the acting becomes a lot more compelling for yeah. um, Anne. And I loved her um, that whole sort of lasts. I don't know, last twenty minutes where you know she's from the minutes she's sort of in the cell to the scenes in court to then to the final sort of scenes with Henry. And I thought she was really good. And you sort of, uh, I when I sort of trying to remind myself who because I knew I knew her from Dead Ringers, but I wanted to know a bit more about her, and I didn't know that this was her debut film performance and i'm like i guess if you're in hollywood at the time and this youngish girl is making a debut against a titan like richard burton she does sort of hold her own for that last half of the film or last hour yes. and i think that's you know commendable when you think about the kind of actresses he would have starred against um and i so i thought she did a great job I think her Oscar moment was when she's in the tower and he smacks her across the face, but she refuses to back down. Like she kind of just takes the hit, but she doesn't like flinch yeah. at all. And um, she delivers like a very salty monologue, uh, sort of putting the king in his place. And then she basically just admits to an affair that never happened because she accepts her death with dignity. Yeah. Um, I would say that was probably her, her biggest moment and her, um, her biggest sort of Oscar moment likely because uh, it's all built up to that one moment because you obviously know that she's going to get her head chopped off. So um, to see her accept her death with dignity in a very sort of like fuck you kind of way as a viewer, it's um, very satisfying. And um, I don't know, like she kind of, I don't know what the she almost has like a bit of like a martyrness to her as well. And um, like, you're certainly rooting for her uh, and her and Richard Burton had really great chemistry. My only critique is, Oh my God, I don't know what the span of the movie was. It was at least 15 years. This bitch did not age one fucking day. I don't know what retinol cream, you know, like fucking L'Oreal skincare, <laughs> she's fucking using but no no no. like i understand it's the 60s but like if time has passed i want to see that on your face i mean look at fucking jane fonda and they shoot horses don't they near the end of the movie she looked like fucking beetlejuice oh i want that like give me that like anyway i didn't love that genevieve the whole time was just so gorgeous and pretty that that got annoying yeah. for me but i sort of get it, I, I was thinking that and i was a bit like oh but i guess amber Lim was the one that was, you know, the, the temptress. And she was meant to be somebody that everyone found, like, super sexy um, at the time. And then, you know, Jane Seymour was just meant to be just beautiful and really sort of placid, but it was her fiery nature and her sexiness that attracted him. And then 
when they apparently got married, that's when he was like, oh, fuck this. Um, but I agree <laughs> with you about the the Oscar moment. It was that, and for me, the fact that as a, an actress, she didn't piss herself with laughter when he said to her, I want to fill you up with my sons. I just found that a really amusing line. And I don't know how she kept a straight face. Um, really? I get a lot of messages like that on Grinder. I will be honest with you. Fuck, I wish I did. <laughs> oh, but boy. She was okay, good, well, really good. I just was like, you know, when you see something and you have no expectation of the person in it, and then you're like, oh, right. And then I'm on Wikipedia wanting to find out more about her. Right. Um, okay, well, do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance specifically before we move on? No, no, good job. Yeah, actually really fantastic job. Um, great movie. If you love like a like a, a period piece, it's it's good. Hey, Best Actress listeners. Enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning ad-free by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. Okay, let's talk about Liza Minnelli and the Sterile Cuckoo. So in this movie, she plays Pookie Adams, and... Um, there's that song come Saturday morning, which uh, I'm glad has left my head. It was stuck in my head all day yesterday. Oh, right. I can't remember how it goes. Yeah, this is a good let's thing. Let's not do it and say we did. Um, but very quickly, this sterile cuckoo is based off of a book. Um, it's a romantic comedy. An eccentric girl forces a reluctant college student into an affair. Um, and an affair, I don't know if affair is the right word. That's what it says on IMDb, but I don't think that uh the what the hell was his name again it was uh oh my god I charlie his name. Oh, it was jerry yeah jerry uh i don't think that uh wendell burton jerry i don't think he was in a relationship i don't know why they're saying affair it was like young love it was like summer love if you will um and liza minnelli in this movie is a fucking lunatic who has no friends but she is obnoxiously charming and she actually showed this script to uh, her mother, Judy Garland, before she filmed, and Judy Garland was like, this character is very unattractive. I don't think that you should play this role. And she was like, no, this is an amazing role. I'm doing it anyway. Um, and I'm glad that she did because the movie at first, you're like, oh, God, li like Pookie Adams, Liza Minnelli is kind of insufferable in this movie. Like she's like a pathological liar. She makes up shit to get whatever she wants. Um but it starts to kind of become like funny after a while because, and this is just like major credit to Liza Minnelli. By the way, this is her first Oscar nomination. She really sells this character by giving the character of Pookie so much vulnerability where you, f yes, she's annoying, but you actually feel really bad for her because she's clearly a little crazy, but she's also very lonely and when you just sort of see how clingy she is and how hard it is for her and the way that they end the movie where it just kind of doesn't really work out is just kind of very 
heartbreaking. And I just got to say, like, there's a lot of actors that would maybe take a role like this and Pookie would just be so annoying that when they break up, you're like, oh, thank God. But with her, like, I had so much sympathy for her and she added a lot of layers to this character. And I absolutely loved her performance in this film. Yeah. First off, I would just have to say, I thought, and I feel like a bit of a philistine saying this, but I thought the film was awful. However. (laughs) It's not, yeah, it's not amazing. But she, it just, but actually what it did was reminded me not and I think she's great anyway but that's because I'm a gay but I'm like she is great like she is so good in a film that I just thought was a bit whatever and at first when it began I was like oh shit she's like that girl that when I was younger that I'd become best friends with in gay bars within five minutes and be like I love this girl so much and then 10 minutes later with my friends going, oh, I hate her. She won't leave me alone. But actually. Oh, my God. I know. I had that exact same thought. She's not <laughs> exhausting. But she's so much fun at first. <laughs> but um, I thought she was so good in it. And when she wasn't in, there's not too much of the film where she's not around. But I just felt a bit sleepy. And then she comes back into it and she wakes you up. And I was a bit like, do you know what? You're not. I've seen Cab- you know, I've seen Cabaret loads of times, and I've seen her in other, you know, in Arthur and Stepping Out. And in my head, I was, you know, I think she's great in those films. But I'm a bit like, oh, you always just sort of probably you were you were always going to be good because of who your parents were. And I watched that. I was like, she's quite young, and you're like, no, you are just fucking great. You are gifted. You are talented. Mm-hmm. She's not singing. She's not dancing. She's acting. Right. And you she's irritating but you love her and you just want to hug her a bit and there's without getting too much backstory she's just able to deliver so much through her eyes and the way that she holds her body and I was just really blown away by it because I was sort of thinking well she hadn't been you know she'd been around for years but this is a big Mm -hmm. role for her at this point um yeah I thought I agree I thought she was great in a film that I thought was not great. I, you know, I kind of enjoyed the, the gay roommate. Um, I thought that was like really funny the way that they kind of navigated that, like the homophobia of the 1960s. It's just kind of funny to watch now. You're just like, Oh God, like you feel so bad. People were so repressed and you're like, Jesus. But it was like kind of funny because Liza Minnelli's dad is gay. And, um, when you, when you said like that annoying girl at the gay bar, I am immediately like, I feel like if you're raised by a gay, you're surrounded by those women. Maybe she based a little bit of Pookie off of, you know, Uh, that girl at the gay bar. I don't, maybe, but like, it's, I had that exact same thought. It felt very, very, very familiar where it's like, you know, they just kind of never back down and they just like kind of get annoying after a while and they never stop talking. And you're just like, oh my God, like, okay, like enough. But the way that she balances is out is just in her vulnerability. Like whenever she gets like really drunk and she says all that stuff about everybody at the party oh, yeah. and then, <laughs> you know, he distances himself from her and then she has to make that, that phone call and she's crying and she's begging to see him. You know, I have made that phone call like many times, yeah. like, and so for me, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, it was a little triggering. I'm not going to lie to watch these, watch this scene. But I love that whenever something for, is really triggering for me, it's a credit to the acting because it feels so real. And there was something about the way that she acted those very vulnerable scenes where she's begging him. 
I don't know, like, were a lot of roles for women, like, calling for that at that time? Like, I feel like this was probably very interesting to see, like, the female begging to be with the man. And, you know, um, uh, uh, oh, my God, I, I've already forgotten his name. Jerry, Wen- Wendell Burton. Jerry, uh, you know, he's very nerdy, very quiet, very studious. He just doesn't really say much. And, like, her, a big personality, she kind of balances him out. Um, because like, you know, my boyfriend and I, like Daniel, he's from Ireland. He's a very academic person. He works in medicine. He's, he's very quiet. He's very shy. And I'm kind of the big personality. So it's like, I'm Pookie and then he's Jerry. And it's like, I get that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that's not really a dynamic that you see on screen a lot, especially women with like big personalities like that. And like the men don't do a lot of talking, especially during this time in history for roles for men. Right. And I just thought that she just brought this kind of like vitality into the way that she delivered lines that was just so needed at this time in history. Like it wasn't, um, you know, campy, like Gene Simmons or very like, how dare you like Genevieve. It's like with Liza, it just seemed very real and vulnerable and raw. And also, uh, uh, Jane Fonda, also the way that she was in, they shoot horses. Don't they? It's like just the, it almost just seemed like a new kind of way of acting was starting to begin. And I think that they were the ones that really like helped move that along. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, no, no. That makes total sense. And I just, I totally agree. There was something, um, there were moments where I was sort of thinking, Oh, is this, were you, were you at this age? Are you just like this? You know, and actually that's okay if she is, because I sort of feel like, you know, some of the best actors are, grabbing bits of themselves and bringing that to the screen and that's why they sometimes go well they're a bit they're a bit samey in all their films it's like yeah but that's why they're a movie star and you want to see that and I really she just um everything felt easy and Mm -hmm. I think where sort of um Earlier with Gene Simmons, I just sort of thought, you know, she was probably the one of the best things in a weak film. Um, I sort of felt like Liza just stood out head and shoulders above everyone. And I don't think anyone acted badly, by the way. I just think she was that good. And mm-hmm. I just missed her when she wasn't there. And I felt really glad um, that this year ended up doing this year because I would never have watched this film. Um, same yeah yeah no I know me too and I'm like oh I would have missed this like I would never have seen her do this and I sort of went on um you know read some reviews and people talking about how great it is and I don't necessarily agree with that and I keep thinking god am I missing something but you can't deny that she's really good in it and I'm sort of um like well we were missing something but we, we were missing something though what was going on with the dad what was that yeah well, this is it. I, don't, I mean, there wasn't much. You sort of had to um, read. I mean, it's absolutely not the same, by the way. But I was sort of thinking in Fatal Attraction, you're never told really what happened with the dad. So I sort of was like right. almost thinking, oh, <laughs> is she like a, uh, a happier Glenn Close? Or, um, you know, right. what's that? <laughs> something dark happened or was he just an arsehole? He wasn't around. But she sort of, her face did it. And the way she delivered the lines and... You sort of thought, I don't know what's happened, but I understand why you deal with life like this. Rather than being uh, misery, she goes to almost hyper. And I think some people do that. I think some people, you know, can either walk around miserable and 
woe is me and other people hide that sadness by being really hyper and happy and actually go to bed and their eyes are probably quite sad and I sort of I just felt sad for her. that's why I found it funny that it's it's a comedy because I didn't feel I didn't I don't remember laughing much but I sort of <laughs> felt a kind of constant sadness for her character because I sort of felt like this is not gonna ever end well for you well, I mean, not only she was a pathological liar, she lied about a charity fraud. She also said that she was pregnant when, I mean, come on, she clearly wasn't pregnant. Oh, we've um, all done it. <laughs> again, to the guys on Grindr. Uh, but I, the joke, the one line that I thought was really funny, it's whenever she walks into that boarding room and she's like, oh, great, the room Lincoln died in. Kind of <laughs> made me laugh a little bit. Um, but anyway, great performance from Liza. I think this Oscar nomination makes complete sense to me. She really was the movie. um, And I loved all of the raw vulnerability that she brought to every single scene. Yes, Um, absolutely. Do you have Uh, anything else that you would like to add before we move on? No, I'm so glad I got to watch it. I feel like I do feel sort of a philistine that I can like Liza Minnelli and not actually have seen all of her films. So I'm really glad I got to see it, see how great she was. So let's talk about Jane Fonda in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And I just want to make this very, very clear. This movie title has nothing to do with what you think it does. Uh, It's basically about a group of contestants during the Depression era that are in like this grueling dance marathon um, in an attempt to win $1,400. And I looked it up online. So each person would get $700 each uh, and uh, in 1932, I checked the inflation calculator. That would be $16,000, uh, $16,314.53, which obviously is a lot of money. Um, this was Jane Fonda's first Academy Award nomination. Um, this was also Sidney Pollock's first Best Director um, Award nomination. Uh, this is also, this movie holds the, uh, the the record for the most nominations without actually ever winning um, the, oh my gosh, what am I trying to say? This holds the record for the most nominations, nine, uh, without getting a Best Picture nomination, uh, but like, whatever. Um, and the thing that I found so interesting about this movie that I read online was that um, Jane Fonda was actually the odds-on favorite to win uh, this Oscar. Um, and watching it, I can totally see why. Um, and it was speculated the reason why she didn't win was because uh, Jane Fonda was arrested on Fort Hood military reservation, as well as rumors of drug use and adultery. So apparently they said that like this costed her the award. Listen, I don't know if that's true, but like if it's like 1960s morals and standards, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I've, I've never seen this movie before. Um, I absolutely loved it. And I just love that there's like a movie about the depression that actually shows like the, the the grittiness of it and how sad it was and how desperate people were because a lot of movies during the 1930s were like about rich people because it was like an escapism. And apparently during the depression, there was like record numbers in people attending um, movie theaters because again, like this is, it's escapism, right? Um, anyway, uh, Jane Fonda in this movie Oh my God. I absolutely love her. She uh, is tenacious. She uh, won't take no for an answer. Um, She's also kind of like miserable. Like she sees like a pregnant woman and then she just kind of goes like, yeah, bring another sucker into this mess. She just is very hostile. She, um, she knows what she, she will not let men touch her. She has to be in control. 
Um, and just watching her was just exhausting because this dance competition goes on for like 40 something days. Oh my God. Okay. So I've never seen this movie before. Very dark ending. We'll talk about that. Um, but Luke, what did you think about this movie and what did you think about Jane Fonda's performance? I was really not looking forward to watching this film because <laughs> the title, I just assumed it was a Western and right. I really wasn't up for a Western. I was, in my head, I was really trying to picture Jane Fonda and I don't know if she has been, but I was trying to picture her in a Western. Anyway, and then I put it on and I was like, what the fuck is this? Because it, it, there's no build up. It is like straight in. And I'm like, this is some dystopian Hunger Games shit of like the national dance off at Rideau High in Greece. And you've got like this MCs, like the nasty Vince Fontaine. I was just like, what <laughs> the fuck? And then I had to look it up because in uh, the dance marathons, as you were saying, because I just thought this can't be real. And then when mm. I saw pictures of dance marathons from the 1930s, it blew my mind. And I suddenly was like, I then was able to carry on with the film because at first I just thought this is just ridiculous. And then I was like, shit, this is real. People were actually so poor and mm. so desperate for money. that, And also people were so desperate to be entertained that they could be entertained by other people's misery and I found it absolutely incredible, this film. And I was like, it was there, you know, long before Rollerball and Running Man and The Hunger Games. It's like, it was a really exhausting watch, but really entertaining. And I, I just was blown away that these things actually happened in the 1930s. And you know, like there was a bit, like time moves quite quickly. And, I, and suddenly it was like, 600 hours and I don't have very good eyesight and I was thinking oh have I got the right glasses on because it must be 60 hours surely they can't be like still here all these days later right but then they were and that was real wasn't it in these dance marathons people would still be there like over 20 days later sort of asleep on their partner's shoulder um yeah I thought yeah I thought it was great and I thought um the the I thought the cast were great. I thought, I don't know if you'd ever seen her before, but Susanna York, who played the actress. Um, I'm nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this movie, actually. Right, yeah. Right, okay, I get that. So she, yeah, and she was like, you know, a, a well-known British actress. Um, and I just thought she was really canny booking. So I was like, God, she looks incredible in mm-hmm. this film. And then her sort of demise and... Yeah, I was really, like, I know I said I'd recommend Happy Ending to people, but I really will recommend They Shoot Horses, Don't They, to people because it was absolutely the opposite of anything I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought the same thing, too. It was very surprising. I'd never seen a movie like that. Also, hi, Bruce Stern. Oh. Um, he was the one with the pregnant yeah. wife, And you know who whatever. she was? Do you know? Who, I mean, I don't know. If you, but she was the Bruce Willis's wife in Die Hard. Oh, really? I like, oh, I didn't I know that. that face from somewhere. And I was like, let me just put a really big 80s perm on it and let's see what <laughs> we get. Yeah, and it was her. I was like, fuck. Right, okay. She, 
anyway. Be- I mean, there were, yeah, there was a lot of like very interesting um, performances from all of the characters. It's a very um, limited set because you're just in that sort of stadium arena, whatever, the entire time. Um, You don't really know a lot about people, but it is compelling because they are literally dancing for food. Uh, They're exhausted. They look exhausted. And going back to the whole thing with Genevieve with, uh, you know, um, Anne of a Thousand Days, it's literally like... Uh, she looked gorgeous and stunning and didn't age a day in like 15 years. They're like, no, but I loved how much they like really made Jane Fonda look tired and exhausted and dehydrated. And then near the end of the movie, like she started to look like Beetlejuice. And then you're like, this is what I want from her. And that sort of grittiness and that sort of um, uh, realness. And also I just love that like, she was very unlikable. Like she just didn't take any crap, but she also was like just generally rude to people because she just was like, I don't give a fuck what you think because I hate everyone. I hate this world. I hate this existence. This is my last chance at survival. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to blow my fucking brains out. Also, let's talk about that for a second. Um, So that man, that actor that did that, let me just look him up because I know he was nominated for a Boftal for Promising Newcomer. Michael Sarazen, who played Robert, her dance partner. Yeah. She fucking hands him the gun and is like, blow my fucking brains out. It's like, bitch, you do not turn a suicide into a murder. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Ruining his life too. Maybe because he's going into prison, he'll get like meals regularly. And maybe that's why. Yeah, I just they- think she hated everyone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I she. But I loved that. I just, I just loved that, and I, I loved, I loved her in this movie. And um, her death was sad. You're rooting for her. She's a sympathetic character. I mean, like, she's awful, but yeah. like, you understand why. Yeah, and you're rooting for her. And there were moments where, even though, you know, they're not romantically with each other by day, like whatever, hundred ninety-seven. And she sees him coming out from that back room where Susanna York's been. And her face just looks at him as if to go, you fuck. And he's sort of <laughs> a bit like, yeah, I'm on your side. I, you're, you, yeah. He's your dance partner, the arsehole. And he's in there trying to get her strapped down. And, um, you, you know, when right. she's running in, the, in those races, which I have to say, I found those, that first race, I found really disturbing. And I didn't expect a film of that era in a room, just set in one room to really bother me like that. And you know, when they just keep running around and I was like, mm, yeah, they were all great. Like everyone in the background's great. Um, it was just, I really believed that it was exhausting. And then she's sort of carrying, you know, the older fellow red buttons like across the line. And, and it's just like, not anyone can do that. And she's a, she's a fucking movie star. And I was just um, really, really impressed with all of it. And I'd never, again, it's like great when you watch something that you think you think's going to be a Western. And it's not. Right. Um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, it was uh, Red, the sailor guy there. Yeah. Uh, um, He has a heart attack and she's literally dragging his... I must. He, they said he didn't die, but he. I think. Oh, he, he died. died. He for sure died. died, and she's like dragging his corpse across the fucking finish line, and she's 
so defeated and I, you're just like watching this movie um this was the movie that i watched when i like first woke up this morning and i hadn't had coffee yet and i was like watching these exhausted people is making me even more tired like i need a pick me up or mm. something because just they really sold it they made it interesting it's not like any movie i've ever seen before um a very interesting performance um of a very interesting way of making a story compelling. Um, if yeah, like it, best actress listeners, if you haven't seen, they shoot horses, don't they see it? So basically in the end he killed, well, she wants to be killed. It's like an assisted suicide, but then he actually goes to jail for murder. But it's like, they have this metaphor where a horse is run down until they can't take it anymore and then the farmers will shoot the horses. So in his defense, at the end, um, uh, Michael Sarazen, Robert, the dance partner, they're like, why did you shoot her? And he's like, well, they shoot horses, don't they? And that's why the movie's called that. Mm. Um, but I was like, why did he have to shoot her? And then I thought, oh, maybe they just did that so that they could like justify the title. Or maybe, or maybe, maybe this was Jane Fonda's final revenge for screwing her over as her partner. And she was like, you want to fuck around with that girl? Fine. Yeah. I will make you, I will frame you for murder. You want the actor? That seems like a Jane Fonda thing to do. Yeah. I just found it, 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 it gave me um, really sort of horror flashbacks to my days when I used to work in McDonald's in the early nineties. And that would often, oh. I'd often be Jane Fonda at the end of a shift, like standing outside, <laughs> lighting up a cigarette, thinking, well, somebody just chopped my head off so I don't have to go back here tomorrow, please. But Oof, was, did you work the night shift? Do you know what? I would do, oh, no, I did do a few. I would do, like, yeah, till 2 a.m., and then we would reopen at 6. And that was oh actually more horrible during the morning shift because you'd get everyone coming out of the clubs. Oh, what time do the clubs close in London? Oh, well, where I lived in London, you could you would club all night. There would be, like, very big house parties that were, might as well have been clubs themselves, so they would all come oh in. I was only, like, 16. Um, well, like, because in Canada, everything shuts down. Like, it depends, like, what city you're in, but, like, everything shuts down at 2. Like, Ottawa's, I mean, Canada in general is, like, pretty boring for a lot of stuff like that. But, like, I'm originally from Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. And everything basically closes down at, like, midnight. Like, it's a very boring city. Oh, right. No, in the, in the 90s, in northwest London, you would find a party. I mean, I wasn't bloody there because I was 16 and working at McDonald's, but um, yeah. <laughs> ser serving the bastards, running round ragged like Jane Fonda, picking up hamburgers. <laughs> but um, I, th I th there was sort of no let up in it. And I really enjoyed that because I felt like they all kept up to the pace that they should have been. And I think, look, I'm sort of thinking, oh, I wonder how that could have been for them. Like, they could be shooting out a sequence. I don't know how this film was made. Like, to be like, this is day 25. This is day X. And I know hair and makeup can help a bit with that, but your mental state and what you've then got to put into your performance, um, mm -hmm. I just found really, um, you know, really great on, on, on all cats. Um, and I know the MC, he won the Oscar, didn't he? Did you say earlier? Um, Gig Young. Gig Young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I liked, I did like him, but I sort of just was much more intrigued, maybe because I like these podcasts, but by the the women, um, in, right. in Jane Fonda and um, and Susanna York. But I, I thought Jane Fonda was 
just great. And I, I sort of, um, yeah, I just thought, well, this is an early, probably the earliest film I've seen her in, I guess. I've, I've definitely seen Clute a few times, but I was like, oh shit, she was always good. Well, have you ever seen Barbarella? Oh yeah, I have, I have actually, that was before this, wasn't it? Yeah, I have a Barbarella uh, in my bathroom. <laughs> um, up, up on up on the walls, she's up there. I think the way that that she kind of paces like her emotional devastation though is very well done. Um, and then kind of near the end, you really feel just like the weight of everything just collapse on her shoulders, and she just gives up. And it's a very sad situation, but. Listen, we are going over our time. I could talk about Jane Fonda forever, but I do think that we do need to move on. Do you have anything else that you need to add before we go on to Maggie Smith? No, no. All good. All right. Let's talk about Maggie Smith. So let's talk about Maggie Smith in the prime of Miss Jean Brody. Oh, my God. I have never seen this movie before, but I watched it today. It's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. Very quickly. An eccentric Scottish school teacher's extravagantly romantic ideas about life and love overly impress her young pupils and bring her into conflict with her school's conservative headmistress. Um, was she Scottish? I thought she was British. No, she is British, but she's um, she's sort of a young Mrs. McGonagall. Well, she because she Professor like McGonagall. rolled her R's <laughs> yeah, a so lot. Like Scottish, there was like, but then like she sounded. Pretty British to me. But, okay, they really need to stop driving home the idea and, like, the metaphor of, like, your prime. She's like, oh, but I'm in my prime. I'm like, okay, cool. But, like, we, we get we get it. Like, just, like, talk about something else. Like, oh, is she coming into her prime? I'm like, stop talking about that. Like, I get it. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor, but, like, it's annoying. But, okay, I have never seen Maggie Smith not wearing a cloak or a witch's hat or in some fancy garb in like Downton Abbey, like, you know, putting somebody in their place in the most Maggie Smith way that she, that she does. And she always just has these like really intelligent quips with people and these amazing monologues. And it's like this movie is you can you can see a bit of like where her career is going to go because she does like really put her head miss the the headmistress uh played by Celia Johnson Miss McKay in her place so many times it's so amazing and she just does it in that Maggie Smith way that you want and she does it so well um also uh Maggie Smith when i think Maggie Smith i think like you know dame Maggie Smith like like senior Maggie Smith, McGonagall Maggie Smith. Mm. I've never seen like young, beautiful ingenue like Maggie Smith. So it's just, there's this incarnation of Maggie Smith that like I've just never seen before that I'm not familiar with. And watching her in this movie was like very like, oh, like this is a side of her that like I've never seen before. She's playing this sexy, vivacious, um, feminist woman and um but she's also um extremely vain and one of my favorite lines about like because that kid that like is so susceptible to her words that goes off to join the war to be a heroine and then she dies and then um sandy played by pamela franklin really great performance from her mm -hmm. as well is like well of course she ran off to war and died because um and of course you uh maggie smith loved her uh, Miss Jean Brody, because she is totally s suggestible. Um, so she appealed to your vanity. And in the end, 
she totally gets fired. And that's kind of the end. Like fucking Sandy comes in and just takes the bitch out. And I thought it would be something else, but no, no, no. Like that's the ending. And then like Sandy, like just leaves and she's very pleased with herself. And it's like, just none of this movie was what I was expecting it to be. Um, Super fun seeing Maggie Smith, not as like a conservative matriarch or grand matriarch of the house. And um, I totally see why she was nominated for an Oscar. And I, I love this movie. Oh, and also another fact before I hand this off to you, Luke, is that this, the the play um, that this movie is based on was originally offered to Maggie Smith. And then instead, Vanessa Redgrave um, took it because Maggie Smith had movie commitments. So then when they made the movie, Vanessa Redgrave was offered the movie, but she couldn't because she had other like commitments. And then Maggie Smith came in and obviously did the movie role. That was offer. I thought that was interesting. Okay, what did you think about the movie, and uh, what did you think about the performance? Yeah, so uh, with the film, I found it. I'd say divisive. I was there were bits in it that I thought were great. I'd, I'd struggled a bit with the timeline, mm-hmm. you know, and these girls who looked the same at twelve, then were suddenly <laughs> like tits out, um, you know, yeah. being painted. Um, I sort of struggled with the fact that. Um, as well as I mean the fact that she was vain just her character the character as a whole which I thought she did really well was that the character I struggled with because she was essentially a bit of a fascist and talking about how amazing Mussolini was and you know we knew what was coming in terms of the second world war and her influence you know and she wanted to influence the girls and all that however I thought compared to the teacher the male teacher he's literally walking around the school with his cock out trying yeah. to fuck anyone that's in his path. I thought she was quite harmless. And I'm like, and Mrs. McKay had such a problem with her. And I'm like, what about the teacher that's essentially Banging the teenagers. <laughs> uh, should we talk yeah. about him? Oh, no, we don't have to because it's the 1930s and that's okay. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> but, so, but with her, I honestly, I d- I've seen her in a lot of films as, you know, an older Maggie Smith. But have you, have you ever seen California Sweet? No, because I think she won the yeah. best supporting for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to just like save all of it for sure. the podcast. I don't like having to rewatch it in case I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I won't talk about it too much. But I had see I had I had seen that. And she um there is just something about I don't I sound really I probably sound ridiculous saying it, but people like Maggie Smith, people like Judy Dench, they're not stars in the way Jane Fonda is or Liza Minnelli is but they right. do something that other people can't do. And when I was watching it at first, I was like, Oh, it's professor McGonagall before she became a witch. And uh, right. <laughs> just sort of walking into class and, you know, some of the lines of, she thinks to intimidate me by the use of quarter hours. I was just finding really amusing. And I loved her sort <laughs> of, you know, the, the right, the to and fro's of Mrs. McKay. Um, but there was just some, I was just watching it and thinking, who else could do this like you? And she isn't the most beautiful woman in the world, but it's actually not impossible to think that these men find her attractive. It's not impossible Mm -hmm. to think that she could be quite vain. And it's not impossible to think she's probably quite lonely. And when it sort of all falls apart at the end, as much as I sort of felt like, oh, that's a shame, that little bitch has got you passed (laughs) out of the school, I sort of thought, do you know what? She'll she'll be all right. 
because she's Jean Brody and she's Maggie Smith. And she'll just go somewhere else and find a new batch of girls and she'll be back in her prime somewhere else. And I thought as a whole, I thought the film was quite flawed in places, but I guess it was indicative of the time. You know, I, I hated, right. I think the fella that the married this cocker, I think that's her husband in real life or it was at the time. Um, oh. And I just sort of, hated the fact that he was you know dragging her into the toilet to snog her and then just painting adolescent girls and bragging about his wife and their six kids while he sort of fucked the world um and <laughs> she was seen as the threat i just found that really amusing because she didn't yeah. want to be like mrs miss lockhart who was quiet and a nice teacher you know and it was threat- she was just threatening to the establishment because she was a woman who spoke her mind. Okay, I'm making a connection here. So first of all, let's just start a conspiracy theory. I'm pretty sure that after Sandy Lake gets her fired, you're right. I think Jean Brody then gets into witchcraft and then becomes <laughs> McGonagall. And yes. then the art professor who's good at enchanting people's memories because he like did so many fucked up things in the past turns into Gilderoy Lockhart. That's it. Okay. There Full circle. <laughs> Full circle oh, right there. That's what Professor McGonagall's always looking in the mirror. The vain bitch. But she's, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, it was, it's one of those films that I almost feel like I need to watch again. I couldn't believe that I've got to this age and I never, it's a sort of text over in England that we would study, um, you know, at senior school or doing our A-levels. And I, I, and it never came, I was more sort of um, Virginia Woolf and Hard's End, I remember doing. So I never, um, yes. I never crossed paths with this. And I, I've, I know the story, but I didn't really understand what it was really about and actually um i have a feeling the film's probably quite different from the book but um as flawed as it was i thought she did a great job i was like i sort of understood i just wish i was i'd love to know what hollywood thought of her at the time she hadn't been around that long and i just sort of wondered oh there's her and the glenda jackson's all coming up in the hollywoods and i was just thinking i wonder what they thought of you because it's who did they know that could do something like that on screen in America? I just couldn't think of anyone. Well, she definitely has that sort of like Shakespearean type of way of like delivering her lines where it's like um, someone like Jane Fonda wouldn't be able to deliver the same lines in the same sort of like, there's something about British acting. It's very like, what's the, like, it's very like academic or something. It's very like, just the way that they like enunciate their words. Like it's very specific and the way they stress their words, but then they like will say things like really fast and then they'll turn their head. And then it, it it's just a, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like um, Genevieve like had that kind of acting, mm. like where it's like, how dare you? Like it's that very specific British fancy kind of acting um, where I find maybe American acting is a little bit more realistic and like how people actually talk um, <laughs> yeah. because uh, with Maggie Smith, like I'm very aware that I'm watching a play. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I did, um, I did feel that point. I sort of thought I didn't, I couldn't remember if it was a play or just a novel. And then I realized it was definitely a play at some point. I was like, it did feel like theater at times. Yeah. I think there's so many great scenes. I mean, any scene with her and the headmistress are always amazing just because I love Maggie Smith. I mean, why do we love Maggie Smith? Because she puts people in their place yeah. like no one else. And just watching her do that was just like, chef's kiss. 
um, at the end with Sandy when she's calling her an assassin and she's yelling mm. at her. Another another really great scene. A lot of nice comedic moments too. I don't know if it was intentional, but whenever the headmaster first tries to fire her and then like when she leaves and the way that she slams the door, she does it in this like weird pause. And I'm like, is this a comedy? And then I looked it up online and it is like drama, romantic comedy. But then she also... Um, was nominated for best performance by an actress in a drama at the Golden Globes, but anyway, had comedic moments. Yeah, she's um, great at comedy. Like, oh, she's so good yeah. at comedy. I just this is a side to her that I've never seen before, and um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I mean, bar, oh. bar the children that never grew old, I I enjoyed it. I mean, and Sandy <laughs> was just like, I couldn't get over her. I'd never. Again, I'd never heard of her, and I was like, shit, she was incredible. And she got naked, which, that's a lot. Yeah. For, I don't know how old she was, but she, like, she was young. Yeah. That's, that's a, for the 60s, like, that's a, that's a risk. Yeah, it felt. For your career. Felt naughty, for sure. Uh, yeah. And yeah, no, the, the, like, Lockhart teacher grabbing her and kissing her, you're like, Bleh, like, a lot of really E.B. Cray moments. I'm not arguing that. You're right. But I, whenever I watch these um, uh, movies, you know, I, I remember years ago I got this or when I, I did this podcast, I got this um, review from some, it was like this, he was this British guy and he was just so angry that I was, he, he was calling me woke. And he's like, I hate how you talk about things that are problematic. Like we were so uneducated of yesteryear and shoving your millennial views down our throat. I'm like, bitch, I take that as a compliment. I'm like, yeah, things were super fucked up and acceptable back then. Every generation has it. We all learn from it and we move on. If you have a problem with that, like, hi, hold up the mirror. It's you're the problem, bitch. I'm sorry but for I writing just, that letter, by the way. I went. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, it's like literally like I, I literally, um, I take everything with a grain of salt whenever I watch these super problematic movies because there's so many fucked up things that I see on this podcast that at this point now, because you're so right with the professor, with the girl, you're just, I'm just like, yeah, like it was just that fucked up shit was so acceptable. It's like yeah. I notice it, but I just don't even comment on it anymore because I'm just like, I could just do a whole podcast about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was the ninth, late 60s when they filmed this and it's actually depicting the 30s where that would have been absolutely you shut your eyes no one you know he's a good teacher that's all that's important and so that wouldn't right. be unbelievable what i thought was um indicative about all of these films and the time was just that no matter what the circumstances of the woman they weren't really allowed to quote jane simmons they weren't allowed to have a happy ending which i found really <laughs> interesting um that they pretty much you know if their name's not in the title of the film they pretty much own the film they're in. You know, they're not like a lot of best actors of that era where they are sort of second fiddle. They are really carrying a lot of the movies, but mm. they can't have a good ending. It's just not allowed. How dare Ever. You? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like they have to be punished for their lifestyle. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. But there you go. Um, oh, by the way, just as a side note, before we do actually pick our winner, mm -hmm. because we uh, this is a bit of a longer episode, that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, before we pick our winner, uh, I will mention that the episode of Howard's End has been fixed. The audio was messed up on that, um, and that was an issue with the microphone. And then when we brought it into post to edit it, uh, things overlapped incorrectly. 
again, we hate technology over here. Uh, this is why we start the Patreon so that we can get some new shit. Uh, but I have actually since gone in and I have fixed the Howard's End episode um, just because the audio was driving me nuts on that. It sounded like I was interrupting Josh every five seconds and it wasn't that it was just that our audio didn't sync up properly when it got published. But just FYI, if anybody does want to listen to that episode and not be irritated uh, to death, it has been fixed. Okay, so the time has come for us to select our winner. So, Luke, you are my guest. So please do the honors of revealing who you think that the Oscars should have gone to. I think the Oscars should have gone to... Maggie Smith for the Primer Miss Jean Brody. I love it. Why? Do you know why? I was really, I was torn ultimately between, I was, I was her, Jane Fonda, Liza Minnelli, and I was like, no, not Liza Minnelli. And I know she's going to get one for a much better performance. But do you know what it was? I could, if push comes to shove for that era, I could have seen um, a Julie Christie type or Faye Dunaway probably playing the same role that Jane Fonda did. I think in that era, they could have done it. With Maggie Smith and thinking of her contemporaries, I was like, Judy Dench, Joan Plowright, even Vanessa Redgrave, as much as she did it on the stage. I just was thinking, mm-hmm. I don't think they would have done the job that you did. And that, to me, is what makes an actress really deserving of a Best Actress Oscar. Is that You just can't imagine that anyone else could have carried that film the way that she does. And that's why, not just because she's British, but because I just couldn't imagine anyone else doing it. I I totally I totally get that, and you're so right. Okay, so hmm, I'm a little torn here of who actually I'm going to pick, but um, hmm, oh boy. Okay, so I think that the Oscars should have gone to. Maggie Smith for the prime of Miss Jean Brody. Yay. So I agree with you about Jane Fonda. And I, I've seen other things by her that I felt like, oh, maybe she should have won the Oscar for this instead of that. Or um, like include, I was like, oh my God, it's not even a question. We selected her. I believe I selected her for, for yeah. that year. I couldn't imagine um, anyone include other than Jane Fonda. Like, other than Jane yeah. Fonda. Yeah. yeah. But for this, to be honest with you, actually Liza was who I was probably going to pick because I thought that she gave a much more vulnerable performance. Right, it's just that the movie itself isn't like my fave. Um, so that kind of does affect it a little bit. Uh, but Maggie Smith, you, I saw like a side to her that I've never seen before. And also I just love whenever she puts, um, I think uh, of all the scenes in all the movies that were my favorite, it was whenever she was putting Celia Johnson, the headmistress, Miss McKay, in her place mm. over and over again. And I just love that, um, you know, Jean, Miss Jean Brody was just always right. Yeah. And she just didn't give a fuck. But she was also very smart. And she would justify her vanity with, like, historical facts. And um, I just love seeing that side to Maggie Smith that I didn't know was there. And I'd never seen it before. And uh, it's... It is on YouTube. Watch it for free. Like, it's worth the watch. But yeah, there's a lot of dated things in this movie that are really troubling. And some of the monologues go on way too long. Yeah. 
But it's just really, really fun seeing Maggie Smith in this movie. And she has a lot of really, really great scenes. So I will go with Maggie Smith. But Liza is a strong second for me. Fair enough. <gasps> okay. Oh, my God. Well, that concludes another episode of Best Actress. Um, Luke, where can people find you on social media? Oh, I'm on uh, Gary, G-A-R-Y, Luke MC. Gary Luke MC. That's on Instagram. Okay, beautiful. Okay, well, we'll definitely have to have you back again. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.